we want to get back, or I want to take us back into the book of Colossians today to finish a sermon that I started last week. And, I, you know, it's, this will be the third sermon on two verses. I promise you we're going to speed it up as we go along. We're not going to take this long on every verse in the book of Colossians, but these first two verses kind of set the, the, the framework for a lot of what comes later. And, uh, and I hope that you are following along, and if you, if you have not been here for the first couple of messages, maybe I can give, uh, I'll give you the notes. I know that Andrew is recording them, so if you wanted to go listen to them, I think that they're uh, on the podcast on the Facebook page. They're not yet? Not yet. That's okay. He's working on it. We had a busy week. Like, oh, while I'm thinking about that, thank you to everybody that helped with the Kids Crusade. You guys are amazing. I, I Really, seriously. We had... Uh, we had a lot of kids here, and uh, when I got to, to church this morning, I was looking around thinking, whoops, we didn't clean that very good, we didn't clean that very good, so I was mopping, trying to clean up some things that we kind of missed, because it has been so busy this week, uh, but to all of you who participated, all of you that uh, showed up and volunteered in some capacity, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I had moms. Seriously, I had moms over in the, I remember one mom in the 16th Street area over there. Uh, she came out to the van and she said, my kids have been talking about this all year long. They kept asking me, when is that church going to have their kids crusade again? When are they going and she said, I'm so glad you guys finally had it because I got tired of answering that question. I kept telling them, just before school gets started, they're going to, anyway, so there are a number of kids here in the community that anticipate it, look forward to it. We may actually start a, a van route. Uh, if there's anyone interested in running a van route, a very, it'll be 15, 20 minutes tops on a Sunday morning, uh, picking kids up and then taking them home when the service is over. I'd love to talk to you about that because we do have a number of kids that expressed an interest in coming and being part of the uh, children's program here. So just think about that. Uh, but it, I need somebody that will commit and follow through, okay? Okay, somebody. Thank you very much. Okay, let's get into the Word of God this morning. We are, you know, Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 44, that he, speaking of Satan, has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When Satan lies, it's consistent with his character, for Satan is a liar and the father of lies. It's the very nature of Satan to lie. That's who he is. Satan lied to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and led Adam and Eve into sin and death. And Satan's been lying ever since, leading countless people like you and me into disobedience and destruction. Like any good liar, Satan presents his lies to us as truth. That's what a lie is. That's exactly what a lie is. A lie is really a false statement deliberately presented as being true. It's a false statement intentionally presented as being true. The purpose of a lie is always to pervert the truth, to corrupt the truth, to distort the truth. And the end result of a lie is never good. Never. How many of you found yourself buying into a lie that somebody told you or that you some, it sounded good, sounded really good, you bought into it and it just didn't end well. A lot of us have been there. Well, here are some of the effective lies that I believe Satan 
is using in our generation, lies that our generation has bought into. And these lies, I believe, are destroying us today. Lie number one, it's all about me. It's all about my happiness. It's all about my fulfillment. The truth really is, it's, it's all about God. It's not about us, it's about God. Because he's the beginning, and he's the end, and he's everything in between. You and I were created for his pleasure and for his glory. And we will find our true happiness and our true fulfillment by surrendering our lives to him by living for his pleasure and his glory. There's no happiness outside of living for God. There really isn't. Lie number two, God's too restrictive. He's too demanding. Well, here's the truth. The truth is that God's ways are always best. God's ways are always best. His restrictions, as we call them, are always for our good. He puts these restrictions on us, these commandments on us, to protect us and to bless us. His commands are like guardrails on a curvy mountain road. If those guardrails weren't in place, we'd drive off a cliff. Resisting or rebelling against the ways of God always leads us to a place of hurt and heartache. We've discovered that for ourselves. Line number three that so many people buy into today is this, God's not enough. God's not enough. I need to do more to be made right with God. I need to have this spiritual experience to know that God loves me. I need a man or a woman to complete me. I hate that phrase. You complete me. Oh, gee, man, no. I need more money to make me happy, to make me feel secure. I need a new job. I need a new home. I need a new car to make me happy. I need a certain accomplishment or a, a certain position. I need to achieve this in order to make me feel significant and, and important. Well, the truth is this. God is enough. And God is all we need. If we focus our attention and our affection on God, he satisfies every longing of our hearts. And chasing these other things is like chasing the wind. You think you caught it, but it's gone. God alone satisfies. God alone brings fulfillment to our lives. That's the truth. So why do we find ourselves so often falling for these kinds of lies? And that's just a three out of literally hundreds and thousands of lies that he tells us. Why do we find ourselves falling for Satan's lies? It's because our fallen human nature wants to believe that there's an easier way, that there's a cheaper way, that there's a quicker way to get what we want and need. And it sets us up to believe the lie rather than the truth. Satan tells us what we want to hear, and we take the bait. And we fall for Satan's lies rather than God's truth. Well, what's the fallout from that? What's the fallout from believing the lies that Satan tells us? First of all, it blurs our perception of reality. Truth is reality. But lies create a wrong perception of reality and how reality works and what reality is. And our wrong perception of reality that's based on these lies leads us to make wrong choices, and these wrong choices lead us to painful, devastating consequences. That's the fallout from believing the lies of of the enemy, the one who has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And we buy too many of those lies. Instead of knowing what God has to say about things, we listen to the lie. Because it sounds good. 
It sounds like a shortcut. It sounds like a, an easier way to get what we want and need. Listen, the Colossian church, the Colossian church had begun to embrace some of, the, uh, some of Satan's lies rather than God's truth. So Paul writes this little letter. How many of you read it over the last couple of weeks? Read it and different? Good. Keep doing that. Just, just read over it. Let the truth of this letter uh, sink into your spirit. Paul writes this little letter to address these lies that had, had uh, infiltrated the minds and hearts of the Colossian believers. And this letter is intended to point those Colossian, Colossians back to the truth. And in these first two verses, we're given two really important principles that will help keep us living in the truth, will help us discern the lies from what God has said, will keep us focused on what is true, what is really real, and not on this, this false perception that Satan wants us to live in. Colossians 1 says this, verse, the two, first two verses, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. I just want you to say that last little line there, grace and peace to you. Say it. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. I want you to look at your neighbor and say it to them. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now turn to somebody else and say it to them again. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now I want you to say it to yourself, grace and peace to me. Say it again. Grace. Say it again. That's your rightful inheritance in Christ Jesus, and never forget it. We'll get to that in just a minute. Let's pray. Father, we do love you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power. We thank you for its transformational power. I pray, Jesus, as we spend time in this word today, that the truth that's illuminated for us here, that it will just explode in our spirits. That we will recognize who we have been created to be in Christ Jesus. That we will recognize that our identity is hidden in him. I pray, Jesus, that by your Spirit, you will take this word and plant it in the fertile soil of our hearts and minds, and let this seed produce a harvest of righteousness in us, and help us to become the people of God that you want us to be in Christ. I love you, Lord. I just pray you'd get me out of the way. Give us ears to hear. Hear your voice, not mine. Hear your words, not mine. Receive your truth, not mine. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just by way of reminder, verse 1 teaches us that the Bible is our authority for all matters of life and faith. That's last week's sermon, just to summarize what we talked about last week. You and I as followers of Christ, we look to the Bible as our authority for all matters of life and faith, and if what we hear or see if what we're being told to believe doesn't line up with the, with the Word of God, then it's going to lead us astray. It's going to lead us astray. Satan, if we do not know the Word of God for ourselves, it gives Satan the opportunity to create for us this false perception 
of reality. We have to know what the Word of God says for ourselves. Anything that we are taught to believe, if it does not line up with the Word of God, Darian, I think it's the next slide. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, we can't trust it. You can't trust it. The Bible is our authority, not me, not your, your favorite preacher, your favorite Bible teacher, not your friend down the street that seems to know every scripture. The Bible, the Bible is our authority for all matters of life and faith, and you and I need to know the Bible for ourselves. We need to understand it for ourselves so that we can discern what is true from what is not true. So important we understand that. We need to know what the Bible says for ourselves, not just blindly accept what someone else has to say about it. So I encourage you to dive into this Word of God. That's why I want you to read the book of Colossians for yourself. I want you to study it for yourself. And I want you to uh, line up what I tell you with what the Holy Spirit has shown you as you've studied that Word for yourself. And I hope that it lines up. And I hope we're moving in the same direction. Because I believe that God has a calling on your life. I believe God has a purpose for your life. And the more you understand that calling, the more that you understand that purpose as it's given to you in the Word of God, the better life you're going to live. And the stronger your faith is going to be in Him. Anyway, I've got to move on. And the second verse, this is where we're going to spend all our time today. The second verse teaches us about our identity as followers of Christ. It's so important that we know who we are in Christ. Verse 2 says this, To the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Let me say that again. To the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. I want us to pick this up as we begin to study this one little verse. Paul reminds these believers that even though they make their home at Colossae, they were actually living in Christ Jesus. If we're going to keep ourselves from error, if we're going to keep ourselves from being led astray, if we're going to keep ourselves living in the truth, we've got to understand this. We live in Christ. We make our home, temporary home, because we're just pilgrims passing through, right? We make our home at Calera or at Montevallo or at Columbiana, but we're living in Christ. If I were to go up to you, and one, one, uh, one Bible teacher does this in a lot of his classes, he'll walk around and give somebody a microphone and say, where do you live? You don't live here in Calera when you're here? You just live in Montevallo? That's the only place where you're alive? No. Okay. Okay. Where do you live, sir? Camden Cove. Camden Cove. So if you're out of Camden Cove, suddenly you're not alive anymore? You're dead? Okay, so you're still alive even though you're here. Okay. Where do you live, ma'am? Oh, there you go. In Christ. She got the A. I'm just kidding. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. It's kind of funny. That's the way we end. I live in, I live in, I live in. No, 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 no. We've got to reorient our thinking here as followers of Christ. We may live at Calera, but we live in Christ. We're alive in Christ. You hear what I'm saying? Okay, I'm going to explain a little bit more. We may be, we may be at home. We may be at work, we may be at school, we may be at church, we may be at a store, but you and I live in Christ. 
we may be at the courthouse. That's a familiar place for some of us. We may be at the hospital. We may be at the attorney's office. We may be at the auto repair shop. Been there a lot lately. <laughs> but I live in Christ. You live in Christ. I, I hope you start to pick up on this in just a minute. We may be at a moment of national crisis. We may be at a moment of personal crisis. We may be at a time of devastating loss. We may be at the intersection of doubt and despair, but where do we live? Our life is in Christ. Our life is in Christ. You see, no matter where you are at in life, no matter where you are at in life, rich or poor, employed or unemployed, sick or healthy, Good circumstances are bad. We are in Christ. Our life is in Christ. And knowing this truth will help, you, will help keep you from buying into the lie that you are a product of your circumstances. That it's only when you're feeling good that you're in Christ. It's only when things are going well that you're in Christ. No, 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 no. You're in Christ... No matter where you are, no matter what's going on, you're hidden in Christ. You draw your life from Christ. You see, the most common description in the Bible of a follower of Christ is that he or she is a person in Christ. The most common description of people like you and me as a follower of Jesus is that we are in Christ. The expression in Christ, in the Lord, or in him, is used 164 times in Paul's writings alone. In contrast, the word Christian is only used three times in the entire Bible. So we really need to know what this phrase, in Christ, means if we're going to understand who we are as followers of Jesus. It may prevent us from buying into some of the lies that are flying around, even in the church circles today. To be in Christ doesn't mean that we are inside Christ like tools inside a toolbox or clothes inside a closet. In Christ means that we have been organically united to Christ like a branch is grafted to a tree, for all you gardeners out there, or an arm is attached to a body. Raise that right arm. Hallelujah. Raise that right arm. There you go. You see, in Christ, I hope to clarify this a little bit, in Christ, means that there is a deeply personal relationship with Christ that is a product of God's grace and our faith in Christ. I want, let, me, let me try to illustrate here. Here is a toolbox. Actually, it's a fish tackle box. Now, in this box is a hammer somewhere, if I can get it out. I want to, I want to explain to you the difference between being in something like a tool in a toolbox and in Christ, organically attached. This hammer is in the toolbox, but this hammer doesn't take its identity from the toolbox. This hammer is a hammer whether it's in the toolbox or outside the toolbox. You get it? 
listen to me, the toolbox doesn't impart any life, any strength, any purpose to this hammer. This toolbox doesn't control the hammer. This hammer is still a hammer, whether it's in the toolbox or outside the toolbox. It doesn't really matter. This hammer's a hammer, right? So that's, that's one way of un people understanding what it means to be in Christ, and that's not really what it is. What being in Christ is more like is this arm being attached to this body. If you separate this arm from this body, what have you got? Huh? <laughs> Where does this arm draw its life from? Where does this arm, where does this arm get its strength from? Where, this, where does this arm get its purpose from? You separate this arm from this body, it loses its identity. It's just a piece of rotting flesh lying on the ground that can do nothing and will do nothing. But attached to this body, makes all the difference. This arm's in Christ, or is in, is in this body, just like you and I are in Christ. We have been organically attached to Christ himself, from whom we draw all of our life, all of our strength, all of our purpose. We draw from him our identity. You separate us from him, and that's what the devil wants to do. Suddenly we lose our life. We lose our strength. We lose our purpose. We lose our identity. Does that make sense? So let's think of it that way. We live and we may be at Calera. We may be at Montevallo. We may be at the hospital, at the doctor's office, at the attorney's office. But Lord, that doesn't separate us from Christ. We're still in Christ, still organically Attached to Christ, his life still flows into us. His purpose still flows toward us. Our identity is wrapped up in who he is and what he is. We are in Christ. You see, we used to live in the world. We used to live in the world. We were once organically attached to this world. Back then, the world controlled us. Back then, the world controlled the way we thought. It controlled our behavior. Back then, we let the world put its labels on us. Back then, we let the world determine the way we thought about ourselves. Back then, we let the world determine uh, how we were going to live. We were in the world. Back then, we shared the world's values and the world's priorities. Back then, when we were in the world, we trusted the world to know better than us what would bring us happiness and peace. And back then in the world, if the world said that we, need, that we would be happier by living this particular lifestyle, then we would do everything we could to live that particular lifestyle. Back then, if the world said that it would think better of us if we lived here and owned that and worked there and did that, then we'd live there, we'd own that, we'd work there, and we'd do that because it controlled us. We were in the world. Follow me here. But now, but now, because of God's grace and our faith in Christ who died for us and was raised on the third day for our justification, because, because of what God did for us and our faith and accepting what Christ did for us, we don't any longer live in the world. It no longer has control over us because now we are organically attached 
to Christ. We are in Christ. We draw our life from Christ. We draw our strength, our purpose, and our identity from Christ. And this new living arrangement changes everything for us. Suddenly, nothing in this world, no matter what happens, it doesn't matter anymore because our lives are not organically attached to this, to this world anymore. It doesn't really matter. My life does not depend on my circumstances anymore. It doesn't matter whether I'm healthy or sick. It, it, it doesn't matter. It's all about Christ, being in Christ. In Christ, everything changes. Here, I wanted to point out just three things, because verse 2, I think, brings to light three areas in which our lives radically change when we are translated from being in the world to being in Christ. And I want you to kind of use this as a checklist for yourself. Am I still living in the world, or am I now living in Christ? Am I still organically attached to this world? Does this world still control my, thought, my thoughts and my attitudes and my behaviors? Is it, is it still determining for me the way I'm going to live? Or have I truly been translated from living in the world to, to now living in Christ, where Christ has control of my life, my thoughts, my attitudes, my behaviors, my priorities, and my values. Listen, because it, it, it radically changes. It radically changes. In Christ, first of all, we begin living a brand new life. In Christ, we begin a brand new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. In Christ, the old person we used to be, who was controlled by the world, he dies. And a new person comes to life, born again by the Spirit of God. And with this new life comes a new lifestyle, a new set of values and priorities, a new standard of morality, there's a new controlling principle in our lives. We're no longer living to please ourselves. We're no longer living to please the people around us. We make it our aim to please Jesus. I want you to notice in verse 2 how Paul describes these Colossian believers. Holy and faithful. Holy and faithful. Do you think they were holy and faithful when they were living in the world? No. Nope. Of course not. They were probably unholy and faithless. But in Christ, they experienced this radical transformation. They were giving a, given a new way of living. They became, each of them, a new person with a new life and a new lifestyle, heading in a new direction, living with a new set of values and a new standard of conduct. And my question for you this morning, listen to me, are you living in Christ? Are you living in Christ? Have you experienced that radical change in your life, that radical transformation of the way you see life, the way you live life? Or are you still living like everybody else around you, chasing the same things? Are the values and the priorities of the world around you your priorities and your values, or are you looking to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to determine what your values and priorities now should be? 
If you have not, I'm, I'm going to put it straight flat down, if you have not experienced a radical transformation in the way you think about life, in the way you live your life, I'm telling you, you're still organically attached to the world. You have not hidden your life in Christ. He will change your life. And those of you who have experienced that radical transformation know exactly what I'm talking about. One day you saw the world around you like this. And when you began to live in Christ, when your life was organically attached to life, suddenly you're looking at, at that way of living and you're thinking to yourself, man, that ain't right. I can't do that anymore. I can't go there anymore. I can't hang around those. I've got to change. And you find your whole life doing a 180 and you're walking in a completely different direction. And the old friends don't like you anymore. And suddenly you're sticking out like a sore thumb everywhere you go because you're different. I think that's a God kind of weird. That's okay with me. And I think that's okay with God. We need to be radically transformed. And if we are in Christ, you'll be radically transformed. That's one of the sure signs. In Christ. If you're in Christ, when you are no longer organically attached to the world, but are now organically attached to Christ, drawn from him, your life, your purpose, your identity, you're going to belong to a new family. I want you to notice in verse 2, Paul refers to the Colossian believers as brothers in Christ. Brothers in Christ. You see, in Christ we gain a new family. Not only do we enjoy a personal relationship with Christ, but we're placed into a new family, the family of God. In Christ, we are made the sons and the daughters of God. That makes you and me brothers and sisters in Christ. And in this family, Jesus abolishes race and ethnicity and nationality and gender and class. In Christ, you belong to a family that doesn't care where you came from or what you did or who your earthly family was. It's all about we are together in Christ. You know what that means? That means you can't harbor hatred in your heart for your brother. He's family now. He may have wronged you yesterday, but today, it's all right, man. I forgive you as Christ has forgiven me. A lot of us are walking around today. Listen to me carefully. I believe you're in Christ but you struggle with this area of forgiveness. And it's, it's separating you and keeping you and hindering you from enjoying the life that you are created to live in Christ Jesus. Remember I told you we're organically attached and Satan wants to somehow separate us from this, from our identity, from our purpose, from our life, from the strength that we ought to have in Christ. Let me tell you something. You are like an arm that's, been, that's attached to a body, but because you won't forgive, blood has stopped flowing into your arm and you're losing strength. It's time for you to look at the people who have wronged you in the past and done you wrong, and you need to learn to say, I forgive you. I'm not going to hold on to that anymore. And you need to let the love and the mercy of God begin to flow through you again as he wants to. Are you living in Christ? Are you living and enjoying the blessings and the responsibility that comes from being in this new family? 
Do you see it for what it is? Do you appreciate it for what it is? Because if you're in Christ, you're in this whole new family. And in this family, we learn to get along. And we learn to love. And we learn to forgive. And we learn to share one another's burdens. We learn to walk together in peace and unity and harmony. Or do you still find yourself fighting with everybody? Still in the midst of, man, you just can't get past the arguments and the bitterness and the anger of the past. Examine your heart. Am I still organically attached to the world? Because that's the way the world does things. How does the world handle a conflict? What do they do? They war. They fight. They fuss. They will not yield. They will not just let that rope go and walk away from the battle. No, I'm going to win. I'm going to make you tell me I was right. That's the way the world fights, and if you're fighting that way, maybe you're still organically attached to the world. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you haven't yet surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe it's time today to turn your life over to the Lord, to organically attach yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, who can give you the power and the willingness to forgive. I see it in some of your faces. Either that or you're just sleepy. Are you living in Christ? Are you enjoying the benefits and sharing the responsibilities that come from living in this new family? The third way I want you to think about this, about how this uh, being in Christ is, is so life-changing, so transformational. In Christ, we enjoy a new satisfaction. We enjoy radical transformation. We enjoy a new family, but now we also enjoy a new satisfaction. Jesus says this in John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. You believe that? Is Jesus a liar? You see, there's a hunger in the human heart that only Jesus can fill. A thirst in the human soul that only Jesus can satisfy. There's an, an inner emptiness in our humanity that only Christ can fill. Now we try to satisfy that hunger by chasing things like success and romance and popularity and power, but those things only leave us wanting more and more and more. They don't satisfy. St. Augustine said this. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find its rest in you. In verse 2, In verse 2, Paul pronounces a blessing on these Colossian believers. And in this blessing, we hear what every hungry human heart wants to hear. In, these, in this little phrase, we hear what every thirsty human soul needs to hear to truly be satisfied. Grace and peace to you from God your Father. Grace and peace to you. From God our Father. Psychologists say that the greatest need of the human heart is to love and be loved. To love and be loved. You want to know that your life matters to somebody. And you want to know that there's someone that you can share your love with. The deepest need in any human heart is to love 
and be loved. And in Christ, we know that's true. And we experience it for ourselves. Grace. What is grace? Grace is God's undeserved favor. Grace is God's unearned and unconditional love. Grace is God's Son dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Grace is God imputing Christ's righteousness to us. Grace is God's blessing upon us in spite of our faults and our failures. Grace is God smiling on us even though we fall short. Grace is God loving us even at our worst. Grace is God picking us up every time we fall. Grace is allowing us into his presence to offer him our love as puny and frail as it might be. In Christ, in Christ, we know that grace. In Christ, we know the satisfaction that it brings. And my question for you this morning is, have you tasted that grace for yourself? Has his grace satisfied that hunger in your heart, or do you find yourself still needing more, wanting more? You're trying to find it in places you don't need to be looking for it. If you haven't, maybe you're still organically attached to the world. Maybe you're not organically attached to Christ. Maybe you're not truly in Christ. If you, have, if you don't know what that grace tastes like and the satisfaction that it brings, what about peace? Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Peace. I don't know about you, I love that word peace more than I've ever loved it before in my life. Peace isn't just the end of conflict. What peace is, it's a, uh, peace is a, a spiritual sense of well-being. That everything's okay. Everything, that, that's, you know, it was peace. Supernatural peace that allowed Jesus, permitted Jesus to sleep in the bottom of the boat while the disciples were frantically wondering if their lives were going to end that night because the wind and the waves were throwing that boat around. Jesus lived in peace spiritual sense of well-being. It doesn't matter what's going on out here. God's got it. I'm okay. He's got it. He's in control. The world can go to hell in a handbasket, but I'm at peace. My life, from all outward indications, can be falling apart because of some stupid past mistakes I made. But that's okay. I'm at peace because the Lord has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you to the very end of the age. Peace, peace is that spiritual sense of well-being, of knowing, listen, peace is that, that, that knowing that the struggle with God is over. I'm not at war with God anymore, and he's not at war with me. I don't know about you. I don't like to be at war with God. He always seems to win. He has a way of pinning us back in a corner and getting our attention. But when we are in Christ, when we have been organically attached to Christ by his grace through our faith, there's this peace that washes over our soul. And we know the struggle's over. We know the struggle's over. To be at peace with God is the most amazing thing ever. 
To be at peace with yourself is pretty sweet, too. To be comfortable in your own skin. That's a pretty special place to be. To be comfortable, to be at peace with the people around you. Not to be fighting over what they've got, wanting what they have, and then wanting what you have instead. of Just, hey, man, you know what? I'm not going to get caught up in that. Peace. It's a peace that doesn't depend on circumstances. It's a peace that doesn't depend on what's going on around you. It's a peace that comes from knowing that Christ is your Lord over every circumstance. In Christ, we enjoy peace. A peace that the world didn't give to us and the world can't take away from us. My question for you this morning is, do you know that peace that surpasses all understanding? Have you experienced that peace for yourself? Or are you still organically attached to the world thinking that the only way you can find peace is to make them happy? To do what they tell you you got to do. And find peace. Or have you found your peace in Christ? Peace with God, peace with yourself, peace with others. That's what you have in Christ. Bring it to an end. Mike, if you'd start coming up, please, the band. I want us to worship the Lord. Look, the question really for us today is this, are you living in Christ? Are you living in Christ? Does Christ control your life? Do you look to Christ for life and strength and purpose? Have you received and embraced this new life in Christ, this new family in Christ, this new satisfaction in Christ? Then I, if that's you, if you have received, if you are in Christ, if you have detached yourself from the control of the world and now are organically attached to, to Christ, then I encourage you to continue to live in Christ. Continue to live in Christ. Continue to make him the sole focus of your attention and affection. Don't let anything hinder your life in Christ. Don't let anything separate you from, from, from your identity in Christ. Let the truth you find in Christ Jesus demolish every lie that the enemy tries to tell you. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, oh man, let the life of Christ just flow unhindered into your life. Stay in the Word, stay in prayer. Man, just fill your hearts with, with the truth of God. Let the truth that God brings to your spirit, let it wash out all the lies that you've been told over the course of your lifetime. Lies like God is not good. Lie. Like a lie that God is, God doesn't love you. He could never love somebody like you. Lie. Every time, every time the enemy tries to plant a lie like that in your life, I want you to think of Christ and him on the cross, dying for you, dying for your sins. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, not before you cleaned yourself, not after you cleaned yourself up, before you cleaned yourself up, he went to the cross and died for you. He loves you, man. He's good. And he wants to be in relationship with you. Let the, let the truth of God drive out those lies. Fill your heart and life with the truth, with the truth. Let his life, strength, purpose, and identity flow in your direction if you're in Christ. But if you're not, if you're still in the world, if you're still being controlled by the world, if you're still trying to draw your life and your strength and your purpose from the things of this world, then you need to know this, and this is the truth today. You're still under Satan's control. He can lie to you all he wants, and he's getting away with it. And you're following him blindly over the cliff. 
The only remedy for you, if you are still organically attached to the world, if you're still living in the world, the only remedy for you, the only remedy that will bring you freedom and hope and joy and peace, the only remedy that offers to you this, this incredibly satisfying uh, appreciation for grace that God has given you is to surrender your life to Christ. There's no other way. I mean, we've tried everything, haven't we? We've tried money, we've tried, we've tried sex, we've tried pills, we've tried drinking, we've tried everything. How's that working for you? Dr. Phil? Yeah, that's what I thought. It's pretty empty, isn't it? Didn't do nothing. It may have numbed you for a couple of hours, only to wake up and find out it's worse than you ever imagined. You cannot find the satisfaction, the peace, the comfort you're looking for outside of Christ. Outside of Christ. Let's make it clear. You and I were made to be in relationship with God. You and I were made to be in a relationship with God. We are created in his image. He's given us the ability to enjoy his friendship, to know him and be known by him. That's why we're created. But our sin has separated us from him. We have offended him. We have turned our backs on him. We have shaken our puny little fists in his face. We have spat in his direction. We have told him to leave us alone. And we went our own way, and we are suffering as a result of it. We've been in some pretty bad places. Done some pretty rotten things. Some of us have barely escaped death. But even in those times of rebellion, even in those times when we were shaking our little fists at God, even in those times when we were spitting in his direction and telling him to get away from us, even in those times, God still continued to love us. I want you to think back to those two or three times in your life where you should have died. How do you think you made it this far? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Who brought you through those dangers, toils, and snares? His grace. God was watching over you and you were thumbing your nose at him. And he's so good and he loves you so much that he sends his own son to pay the penalty for your sins on the cross. He died for you and me. Should have been us hanging there. We were the ones that wronged God. But God himself took that punishment on himself so that he could look at people like you and me, those who would put their faith in him and say it's forgiven. And I now look upon you as if you've never sinned at all. And I call you, I declare you to be my sons and my daughters, my children. And we know that that's reality. We know that that's the truth. You know how? Because on the third day, Christ rose back to life again. If he had stayed in the grave, we would never have known if that were true or not. We could have speculated, we might have guessed, we might have hoped. But when Jesus rose on the third day, it tells us that what God says about us, that we are forgiven if we put our faith in Christ, 
it tells us it's true. It's true. It's true. You can't go too far that God can't forgive you. You can't have done too much that God doesn't still love you. He demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. That's the truth. That's where you draw your life from. That's where you draw your strength from. That's where you get your purpose from. He loves me. He's good. He's for me, not against me. Come on, world. Give me your best shot. I want to I adopt Elton John's little song. I'm still standing after all the... Whatever. I mean, that's, that, I, I, that's our theme song. You know what I'm saying? Come on, man. Give me your best shot, world. You see, my... I have experienced the grace of God, and there is nothing you can tempt me with that's going to draw me away from it because, man, his grace is awesome, amazing, satisfying. Ain't nothing you got out there that I would want because I've tasted his grace, and I've seen for myself how good he is. And peace, peace, my peace doesn't come from the circumstances I live in. My car breaks down. It's okay. My God loves me. He's going to take care of it. I don't know how. He's probably going to make me wonder. And he always seems to wait to the last minute. But he's got my back because he cares for me. That's the truth. God is good and he loves us. He loves us. He loves us. So that means I've got to keep my, I've got to stay attached to him. I've got to stay as close to him as I can get. I've got to make sure there's nothing, nothing hindering the life and the purpose and the identity and the strength that he offers me from flowing in my direction. Whatever might hinder that, I need to cut it off, man. I don't want to stop blood flowing to my arm. You, know what I'm you ever woken up in the middle of the night and your arm's gone to sleep? And you're like flopping it around. It's like <laughs> a lot of us are living that way. A lot of us have gone to sleep, and we've cut the blood supply off. And we're wondering, why in the world are we just living so, why is our life so full of chaos and drama? It may be because you have cut your life supply off, spiritually speaking. You're not in the Word. You're not praying. You're not worshiping. You're not fellowshipping with other believers. You're not doing the things that causes his grace and his peace to continue to flow. Am I making sense here? Because we're still somehow attached to the world. I'm telling you, man, be done with the world. Be done with the world. It's got nothing for you. We sing a song that says that. I don't know what it is. I can't remember. But. I want you to stand on your feet, and I want you to love on Jesus this morning. If you're in this room, and you have not surrendered your life to Christ, I am telling you, today is the day, and don't let pride keep you in your seat. Don't let your pride keep you in your seat. Don't let your pride keep you from humbling yourself at the foot of the cross. Don't let your pride keep you from enjoying the life that Christ has in mind for you. Don't let your pride keep you from experiencing his grace and his peace in your life. God is good, and he loves you. And he is enough for your life. He's enough. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Will you take him in his word? 